Test. Can people hear me? So how's everyone doing? We're just waiting for some people to get up in here. Hey Vita, how you feeling? So people who are in here right now, make sure to share on your social medias that we're up in here. Send it on your Twitter, text your friends. There should be like a button to share. Also, for people who like what they hear, you can make highlights out of this. Um, Q can describe it better than I can, how to make highlights. I have not made a highlight yet. But if you make highlights of the show, we can um, get notice of the highlights and we can share them as well. So it's a great way to support the show, to make like, if there's any particular part of the show that you found pretty interesting or funny, you can make a clip of it and then uh, share it. And the clip gets automatically shared with us. Uh, Vita, how do I sound? Okay, Vita is not unmuting. But uh, if I sound okay, just people in the audience do the clap, do the clap thing. And um, we're going to try and make this really interactive today. Like we're not going to, um, we're not going to speak at length and just lecture and stuff. We're just going to let people jump right into it. So, I mean, if anybody saw this show and has thoughts, you can just jump right in. You can just go right into the queue. It's up to you. But um, I will say, also, Leslie Lee III is going to be joining us. Joining us. Oh, hey, do you, oh, have, you, have, head, you have headphones on? Because I hear myself. Oh, me? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, dang it. I think I left them in the car. I'll try to get some. Hold on. Okay, cool. Okay, okay cool. cool. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I will say I personally was not that crazy about this show. It wasn't as bad as I thought it would be, but, you know, it's kind of a low bar to cross because I thought it was going to be really bad. But um, Leslie Lee really liked it, so I'm curious to see why he liked it. So that should be interesting. Hey, Q, how's it going? Uh, not too bad. How are you doing? Uh, not bad. Not bad. I just finished episode four. Uh, episode four of this show dropped tonight, and uh, I feel like this show was my first the first real test of the title of this podcast, which is Media Masochist, because it was <laughs> it was painful. Was it painful? Oh no! Uh, oh, to me, but you know what? The reception has been much more split on it than I thought it would be. Like a lot of people out there like it, and people whose opinions I yeah, and, and I'm respect, one of them. So, oh my God! Wow, yeah, I actually amazing. like it. I'm okay. Okay, you know, and now now I'm glad. This is, I think it's the first time we've not been on the same page about something. So I'm really uh, curious. But um, yeah, tell me what you liked about it. Um, I mean, I thought it was going to be corny as hell and really contrived from the very beginning. Like I didn't, I, I what I really don't like about what happens in a lot of like modern film and TV is that they have to flesh out a black a backstory that is not necessary to flesh out. Like. We got from the opening of the original Fresh Prince of Bel-Air that, yeah, he, you know, was at a basketball court and got into a fight. And that's why his his mom sent him to go live with his aunt and uncle. 
So I was like, it was in the opening credits. Like, we got that. We don't really need to know more. But the show gets into a bit of that backstory. Um, Joe's Will, when he's just like, you know, just like this brash, cocky basketball player, you know, like, uh, you know, star of the city. Like, you know, everybody knows him in West Philadelphia. Um, You know, he's on his way to like getting a scholarship. He's an honorable student, all that stuff. And then you drop him into Bel Air. He's total fish out of water. Like, everybody's just like punking the dude left, right, and center. And you can really see like the class distinctions, like how things work for certain types of black people that are like on the upper echelon as far as income. And also like respect among white people, like how much of that assimilationist tendency is purposely done and how much of it just sort of creeps in. I actually thought it was handled a lot better than most TV shows that you see that are marketed towards black people now where they try to almost elide those class distinctions. So whether it was handled great, like it's, it's not always handled that well, but I think they made it pretty. I mean, my problem with the show to me is that it's too clearly on the side of black excellence and it sympathizes with, I guess, who it, it imagines the banks would be too much. Whereas the first one, it liked the banks. It was very supportive of the banks, but it was clearly clowning on them. And this one to me is just You think so? Oh yeah. I, this one I, I don't this, think I think, so I think at a all. lot of yeah, I think a lot of I mean what the impression that I got watching the show was that like Vivian is kind of doing her best to live in both worlds because she's the one that's actually related to Will and Phil is his in law by marriage. So Phil seems to really be like of the Bel Air world and Aunt Viv is has got a foot in each on each side. And I actually found it, it came across to me like it was, it was much more sympathetic to Will and not exactly clowning on the banks, but just kind of showing how like blackness is not a monolith and not universal. And a lot of the ways that they're used to out there are not the ways that he's used to. And that's, that's what creates the conflict. So I didn't really find that super sympathetic. I thought the, I thought the banks were just too cool. I mean, Phil and I Jeffrey they, I, I look like the... they belong on Insecure. They have those beards. I just know. I don't know. But yeah, sorry. I feel, I'm sorry, Leslie. Go ahead. Yeah, I feel like I mean they have a cool aesthetic, but like Carlton is menacing. He's like a villain from a Bryce and Ellis novel. He's like a evil, like fucked up uh, guy. Like um, uh, Uncle Phil is like a cynical politician. Part of the reason he's taking in Will uh, is because it will look good for his campaign. And every time he talks about politics or being a judge, it has nothing to do with helping people. It's all about making deals. Like it makes, I think the show makes the banks look very like bad and they're culture and their society absolutely uh vapid and strange and bewildering uh, to will and that's why i like this you know retelling of the uh, fresh prince legend because yes the first one did it as a light-hearted sitcom but this one did uh makes it like a drama and the conflict is real because it's about intra-black class uh issues and i i just actually really really enjoyed this show a lot i think it's you know well shot um the drama the drama conflict is fun the melodrama is fun i like that they didn't try to recast a will smith in fact they went in the opposite direction with like an awkward guy that's not well liked and and i think that gets to the point of like him moving from philadelphia to bel-air would would be like not fun it would be horrific 
for him. Like, it wouldn't be a fun journey. He would be uh, around some of the worst people on the planet Earth uh, who all despise him and everybody who he knows or looks or sounds like him. I, I think I realize where the um, difference lies and how we're taking this. I think we all agree that the banks are kind of horrible, but I think you guys feel like the show is aware of how horrible they are and is doing it on purpose. Whereas I'm not fully convinced of that. I think the show actually doesn't realize the banks are that horrible. And they're just, I mean, I feel like this is a difference I had with people with girls where I felt Lena Dunham wasn't satirizing a horrible person, but it was just depicting herself. And then people thought it was satire. So I think, so I think we all agree that the banks are horrible. And I think the difference is I'm not convinced the creators fully understand how horrible the banks are and are accidentally doing um, good depiction of the awful. I mean, I feel like they are the banks. This physical show written by people who are the banks. I don't think it fully realizes itself how awful Carlton is. Because in the fourth episode, they seem to be making him like, you know, a little more sympathetic to Will. And I'm like, this guy's already beyond redemption. This guy is one of the worst, um, most menacing evil characters I've ever seen. And they're already putting him in bygones be bygones category in episode four. And maybe you guys are right and I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm not saying that my way is, is gospel. I could be well, the one. I, toward, toward T, the T, I, I completely agree with you. I was going to say, I, okay, I haven't seen so, episode four yet, but I mean, I, I've watched the, the first three episodes. I think... Um, there's a couple of moments in the first two episodes where I, I think there is an awareness there. Um, one was where uh, Carlton, Ashley and Hillary are in their little like family arcade room together. And, um, <clears throat> you know, Carlton's talking about, you know, uh, he's talking about like, you know, them sticking together as a family is like, yeah, you know, I always wanted a brother, but instead I got y'all. And they just kind of like look at him as if like, okay, you know, heard this bit so many times before. But also the fact that, like, you know, Carlton's, like, you know, snorting Zanny in his room and, like, uh, he'll um, be, like, hanging out in the, the locker room with the lacrosse team, a bunch of white boys. And, uh, you know, they're, like, rapping the N-word along with the Bobby Shmurda song. And he's completely cool with it and Will's not. So I think in, in some ways um, it does kind of throw things back on Will. Like, he'll get uh, – He'll 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 talk to the the white boys at school with disdain, but he'll just be like downright violent when it comes to Carlton. And Carlton kind of calls him out on that. He's like, you know, you you're worried about them saying the n word, but then you're going to use it in violence towards me. So I think it, it, it's not. I don't wouldn't say that it's so much sympathetic towards the banks. Like I I think they are aware of how horrible the banks family is. Um, with the exception of maybe Hillary, I think she's played a lot more sympathetically than. Even yeah, the really previous Hillary, but uh, I I don't think it's a situation where like like insecure, where they're not aware of the class differences and they're not fully aware of how horrible Issa and her friends are. It's just kind of like, well, you know, they do fucked up things sometimes, but don't we all? I think there's a keen awareness, not only of the class distinctions, but of also like there aren't any good quote unquote characters on the show. I think everybody on the show has their flaws and their the way that they show the flaws is in their class conflict. Either. Um, I will say this. I think the reason why it called out Will the way it did is because I feel like the people who make the show kind of feel that way about the wills of the world. And I feel like they wanted to make Carlton bad 
but they wanted to make him kind of redeemably bad. And to them, I think that is their idea of redeemably bad. I like, and again, I could be wrong. I don't know. But I what made, I feel what, like yeah. I feel four, like the oh, show. Hold on, just... hold on. I just want to finish okay. this one quick point. Episode four brings up three positive references that I think really make me think these are just this is created by Negro liberals. They bring up Kara Walker in a positive um, sense. And they talk about how she's this great artist at the intersection of race and gender. And I don't know if you guys know who Kara Walker is, but um, she's pretty horrible in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Uh, she's the original like Jeremy O'Harris. Um, and the next two positive references they put in episode four are the lady who did the Michelle Obama portrait you know, about how great she is. And um, Vivian Banks was going to be the next uh, her. I forget what her, what her name, what her name is, but uh, Amy, Amy, Amy Sherald. Right. And, and then I realized, oh my God, they're supposed to be Obama and Hillary, you know? But, yeah. Um, but then the third reference is um, what's, her, what's her name? Um, I'll find the name right now. I, I already knew. I already knew what's her name, um, Carol Walker, because I really dislike Carol Walker. But, yeah, oh, I, I know, I know Carol Walker. She's the one that does the the silhouette. Yeah, she's all the silhouettes of like uh, uh, racial deg- deg- sexual degradation, uh, yeah. and she's an inspiration to like Jeremy O'Harris, who did Slave Play. Oh, and Micheline Thomas, who's like one of these other like bougie type of um, black respectability uh, artists. I don't think the last two are as bad as Kara Walker, but I just felt that it was very much a, a Negro liberal um, thing. And I, I'm, I'm sorry, Leslie, you were saying you can finish what you were saying. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll say about that. Like, ultimately, like what references would you make to successful black people that wouldn't be like Negro liberal? Like that's who the successful black people are like so if you're making this show, like what artists would you be referencing that would be like truly revolutionary? that anybody would have, have ever heard of. It would all be Negro uh, liberals. But uh, but what you were mentioning about redeemably bad, what I like uh, uh, about the show is that it does push the envelope on everything, right? Like Will doesn't just get in a fight. He puts a gun to somebody's head and pulls the trigger. But we still know that Will is going to be this good, likable guy. Why? I mean, ultimately, it's because it's a soap opera. So Carlton can allow his lacrosse friends to say the N-word word. And notice it goes past that, like his lacrosse friend tries to get his cousin put in jail and expelled from school by planting drugs in his back. That's not a Save by the Bell plot. That's a show that's kind of trying to, you know, push the envelope, be a little bit edgier. Uh, everything. But yes, we know ultimately Carlton is going to be redeemed, come to some kind of understanding with Will until the next conflict, because that's how these shows just work. I don't think it's really necessarily reflective of the creator's ultimate politics that it shows these conflicts. You have to have the characters uh, go through these conflicts and show both sides of these issues. And then the resolution, you know, might might not be any might not be a specific political statement but just the fact that that character you know continues to be a good person doesn't mean that when they were racist in season one that the show is saying racism is good right like there's plenty of characters who might start off a season one a racist or a bigot or a sexist and then by season four they redeem themselves somehow that's not the show endorsing that sexism or that racism if, if what i'm saying uh, makes sense 
Just that to this point, I think that here's what I think happens is that, and I, and I completely sympathize with this. T does not partake in a lot of media where the creators are clever enough to hide their points of view and just be able to tell a good story. Oh no, that's not like a lot of, no, 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 hold up. No, a lot of what you watch and comment on, which is why this is called media masochist. A lot of what you watch and comment on are people that think that um, in order to tell a good story, you have to inject your own political philosophies and points of view and just beat the audience over the head with it. Yeah, I think you might be a little bit so used to that. That it's difficult to distinguish the uh, the art from the artist in this because you're you're already going in expecting the worst. No, I watch a lot of things that actually uh, I think do a good do a good job. It's just that this I just thought did a bad job. Like um, the but I thought it did better than I thought. It, I thought this was gonna be worse to be honest. But it wasn't as bad as I thought. I thought it was like semi watchable. But um, that wasn't the case for me. It wasn't that. I'm just not used to things that aren't like didactic and and all that stuff. It was just that I just felt an undercurrent of I don't know. Like, it just felt way too black excellence uh, to me. I mean, for example, the Karen Walker thing. If it was put in the mouth of the banks as a way mm. to short and pretentious, you know, that'd be one thing. But it was put in the character of Lisa, who is the plus size love interest of Will, who I feel is put there to be um, a positive figure. Like, like she's somebody who's there, but she's not rich. She's on a scholarship. And she's um, has all this superficial coding that I think makes her supposed to be superficial. Like, she's not uh, attractive in the conventional sense. She's plus size. She's um, not born rich. She's uh, doesn't like being with Carlton, which is supposed to, I think... Uh, show her authenticity and she's the one that says that Carol Walker is is great you know what I mean and yeah some, but among some people mm-hmm. here's the other thing too if I was to ask your average person who is into like um illustrative art uh that knows about Carol Walker what their impression of Carol Walker is I would probably have a hard time finding somebody who's like deeply critical of her I think I think I think among like just regular normie black people that know about Kara Walker or who know about McLean Thomas, they probably have very good things to say about them. Well, so that, McLean that Thomas is not McLean Thomas is not controversial, and I agree. McLean Thomas is somebody that you'd have to be really highly critical of Negro liberal politics that I care. But Kara yeah. Walker is highly controversial, and a lot of people don't. Uh, don't like her. I think she's a little more in the Jeremy O'Harris category where there's a lot of open debate debate about her. But I agree with you on the Mikaelin Thomas thing. She's more Kahindi Wiley, where most normies uh, like her and find her uh, inoffensive. But I want to give Michael a chance to uh, talk because I think he's been waiting for a while. Hey, Michael. I just want to say, hey, it's great to talk to y'all uh, again. I hope y'all are doing well in this uh COVID world. I haven't talked to y'all in a while. I just want to say, hey, I hope everyone's doing okay. Uh, thanks, Leslie. Well, yeah, it's good to, to chat with you as well. Um, so, I mean, I've only seen two and a half of the four episodes. So, I think that uh, it goes without saying, like, I think that it kind of remains to be seen where things end up by the end of the season, the first season. But I just, my sense of it 
of what I'm watching is I don't, and this is like a subjective thing. I just don't believe it. Like I don't believe the setup or, or the execution. And so when these moments come like happen on the, on the series, like with the way Carlton is with Will and the way Will enters the world, even like before he gets to Bel Air, the way, um, he talks the way that he acts like the whole I just I have a hard time just even believing the world and so I just have this like skepticism believing that the creators of the show are are conscious of, like, I think they're conscious of the class differences but I don't think that that consciousness of the class differences is I think it's pretty superficial and as a result of that, I it makes it hard for me to take seriously the things that I think that they are they think they're getting at. Um, I know that's a little vague, but that that I just I I feel like with what I've seen so far that it's not that what's going to happen is that over the course of the season, especially because it's a drama and this show is something that was adapted from a sitcom, which by its very nature is situate is like episodic and things resolve at the end of the episodes. They're going to drag out a lot of this stuff. And I don't think it's really going to add up to anything particularly satisfying. Um, Michael, I actually, as somebody who likes the show, I think I agree with you about not believing it. I, I didn't describe it as like realistic at all. It's surreal. It's like dreamlike. It's like, um, I don't know, maybe some of the weirder stuff in Atlanta is kind of what they're going for. Like when Will is falls in the pool, when Carlton shows Will in the pool and it has that trippy sequence with the crown and the, and the, uh, and the, uh, seat, uh, uh, oh, the throne there. I like. I thought that was beautiful. I thought that was amazing. But it's definitely not the real world. Like it's very much like a Haydn's type of soap opera drama. Like it's not real. Yeah. At, in yeah. Any no. Way of, at all. It, and I can see why. Like you don't believe it because it's not a believable world. That's not. Well, when I say not believable, that's not exactly what I mean. I heightened. Okay. I'm. De- I'm. I'm fine with something being heightened. I'm just saying. I don't. I feel like the rules of the universe that they've created in this translation don't add up in the characterizations or in some of these storylines. And so that's part of what keeps me at the dis- in the distance of it. Because I'm just sort of like, why is Killer... Like it's, and, and, it's, and some of it's going to sound very silly, but I'm like, what? Okay, so you have this rich Black girl in this family who's like a culinary influencer what is that <laughs> i mean what the fuck is that like it's so annoying to me what are you talking about there's all kinds of culinary influencers no i I understand, I understand that there are culinary influencers but the way that they present that in this series to me is it feels really random and not and it doesn't feel like especially with the conversations they're having about like about this black class, this black ne- Negro liberal class or whatever. It just doesn't, it doesn't square to me with what the truth of that actually would be. If it were, if, you, if, if I were to like fly to Bel Air, 
I, I just that's part of I just don't believe it. I feel and, I feel the creators identify with Hillary too much and it's showing and they're making her a little Mary Sueish. And I feel like I would have rather her be her old dumb self. But I also feel like because of the superficial type of wokeness that permeates this, once they decided to make her dark skin, they became afraid to really lampoon her. Now she has to be a symbol of excellence, a symbol of excellence. And now, because when I was reading the making of this show, they were very conscious about the colorism and they really wanted to make everybody that they could dark. And uh, this is, this is their words. And I feel like with that type of thinking started bleeding into, except for Carlton, Carlton, they seemed fine making uh, awful, but uh, Hillary, because I was watching the old one alongside this. And I think Hillary was kind of fun being, being dumb, but good hearted. And this one just feels too girl bossy. And I don't even know why she's even Hillary anymore. She's kind of superficial, but not really. You know, she's more like surprising everybody with how much she actually cares about things and is about uh, defending the family authenticity and sticking it to the Karens and sticking up for cultural authenticity. This is my grandmother's recipe and the ancestors. And I'm like, okay, why is this even Hillary? But she's also a failed daughter who dropped out of college and, like, her yeah, mom is going to kick her out because she's a loser. So she's not, like, a holy pot. She's a very different character than the Hillary from the show. She just has, like, different flaws. It's like, she no, she's not just dumb. She's, like, smart, but she's feckless and doesn't really have direction, doesn't really know what to do. And she's a disappointment to her mother. And the, like, influencer thing, maybe it came out, maybe it came out of nowhere, but it is, like, a, you know, it is based on a sitcom where one of the episodes was that the Carlton and Will knock uh, William Shatner's teeth out of his mouth, and they go to the dentist with him and they all get high on Novocaine. So it does have bits in it, and that bit I found very interesting, the influence a bit, because she uh, has this racist meeting with the, the the people who run this website, but it turns out that like the CEO or someone on the board is a black woman who is who is friends with her mother, and her uh, complaining about this racist meeting ends up costing this black woman a lot and costing her mother this friendship, and that's like just showing, and that to me is very interesting and like actually showing different levels of class and how you have black faces and these white spaces who nevertheless um don't really change the culture i thought that was much savvier than like any other you know modern streaming show tackling any of these issues if, if there's better ones i would love to hear them but i don't know any other show that would really go there so i guess also say real quick like i i know too many hillary's in real life like look like fail children of parents that uh basically like work their asses off or like climb the economic ladder so they can give their children a better shot at life and then their kids want to like go off and become influencers i know way too many of them to to not believe that because like i know hillary so what's interesting to me is like i actually know i know a sitcom hillary i don't really know the drama hillary that's what i find so interesting slash frustrating about this show is that like these types like they they just are the translation of them I, I don't know what I would think of the show if I hadn't ever seen the original but there's something about this translation that feels just false like it's it's like surface true but it's like fundamentally false 
And, and, and so again, I think it remains to be seen where the season will take them because I also don't really understand what the frames for the whole, for what, um, for what, what, why we're watching, like what's to follow, which is a different experience than you have watching a sitcom because it's episodic. Um, so like, I just, I feel mistrustful of what, uh, the creators have given us so far. Um, and so far what I've seen, I'm like so repelled by it that I don't want to find out what's going to happen because I just had this sense that it's all going to end up being something really, really fucking annoying. Like even more than what it already. I want to say something real quick and get to the caller, uh, Sarah, but what you said about, you know, Hillary's, I'm not saying people like Hillary don't exist, but I don't think the show sees her as a failed daughter. I think it's trying to make the mom seem like a failed mom because she thinks the daughter's a failed daughter. Like she doesn't see how awesome the daughter is. That the daughter's. About I to don't become... think. I don't think the show is that positive on any of the characters. This is why. Hold on, but, but let me finish my point. Because this is why I think that because there's a, such a scene where the the woman who hooked her up with the um. Bon Appetit analog gig, the haute cuisine, whatever that thing was, is chewing her out. But all the other black women are, and this was so, we are not our ancestors, you will catch uh, these hands type t-shirt moment where they're like, our generation, we just took the crap. But these new kids, they really stand up. Good for Hillary. And they're all telling the mom how, you know, she's not right to not realize that. So first off, I'm like, okay, so this is that millennial pandering where they're just basically telling people that the older generation just sat there and took it. But these new gener- generations with, with their cancelings and call-outs are the real ones who are finally stopping taking the crap. And I just feel like this is such a we are not our ancestors. Uh, we, you will catch these hands um, moment. And that's the part that made me think that it's not really thinking of her as a failed daughter. It's the mother's outdated views. So that's where my take is, is coming from. But um, well, it- I, I just feel it shows it shows kind of both sides because before that they all look at her like a failed daughter because she dropped out of college and then they kind of get on her side after this. But then her mom comes back and she's not like, oh, oh, they're all right. They're like, no, I'm kicking you out. She's like, no, I'm kicking you out of the fucking house. So like the show is, I just think the show is like very dialectical and deals with all these issues like in a nuanced way and there's and no one is 100% right no one's 100% but I'll, wrong. but can I just ask a question like Carlton is like a demon spawn Hillary's like a failed daughter so like what they're all like where do they come a, from I don't think Carlton's a demon spawn I think Carlton is somebody that very much wants the attention and affection from his parents that he, he doesn't seem to be getting in adequate amounts like it seems like his mom is you know busy with her life and whatever it is she's trying yeah, to do. Yeah, but she's like so maternal is... toward Will. Like, I just, it doesn't make that's sense. What was, that's what I was trying to get at, is that, well, because again, like, she, she kind of gives that away in, was it the second? Yeah, the second episode, when uh, Will was talk to, talking to her about well, like, how did you, how did you, no, sorry, it's the first episode, you know, like, how did you manage to fit in? She's like, well, you know, I brought West Philly with me. And he's like, oh, so you sold out? And, he, and she's like, no, I adapted. So I think in a lot of ways, like she's very maternal towards Will because that's the part of her that she feels she might have lost by assimilating into this world. So and I, this I think, is, but this think, is the thing I don't uh, believe. Sure. I mean, I find that this this kind of psychological reasoning to be very untruthful. 
And so that, and I think that's the part that I have a hard time with the show because I'm just like, this is not how people who have these kinds of lives behave or reason or talk about their lives. And I know it's like a TV show, but because they made this like weird translation into this earnest representation of how these people are in this environment, I'm like, I'm tracking like the psychological realism. And I think that, but I think that they kind of want to have their cake and eat it too in that regard. And so I'm just like, this doesn't, it just doesn't make sense to me. Well, I don't know. Cause I, I know rich black people who are like, but that. do they walk around so, and I say mean, things like yeah. will or Q Anthony, I had to assimilate. And so I brought West Philly with me. Adapt, like that's yeah. like such bullshit. Yes, I, I know people that will literally talk about like what neighborhood they came from and will like when you know, they you'll talk to them and like they'll get into a conflict with some other black person and they'll say things like, Oh well, you know, don't try me. I'm from Scarborough. And it's like, yeah, but you haven't you haven't lived in Scarborough for a very long time. You're forced till now. That's actually what I'm saying is that people who say those kinds of things are full of shit. And the show I don't think is like, Oh, I'm Viv is full of shit. But he says something like that. And that's supposed to be like uh, uh, an objective thing that we understand and like read onto her as like, he's like a great, good person who's like, who we're most, we're meant to try. Um, real quick, I want to make sure Sarah gets a chance to speak because she's been patiently waiting for a while. And if anyone else has any thoughts on the show, please feel free to jump in. As you can see, there's people on both sides of the equation. So, uh, you know, you will have an ally no matter which side you take. This shit is tearing show. us apart, man. I know this is like <laughs> this is the first time we've had a major diversions of opinion. Yeah. Go ahead, Sarah. So, uh, Sarah, just real quick, if you want to unmute, there's a little uh, microphone oh, in the lower right hand corner. There you go. Hear me? Yeah, now? I can hear you now. Yeah, we can hear you. Oh, oh God, <laughs> yo, this is weird. Uh, going from curious cat to Colin is wild. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, no, I actually have not watched this show yet. In fact, I didn't even know it existed until like what, like a month ago, <laughs> and I just started seeing commercials for it about a week ago. And going back and forth, I probably will watch it. But knowing a lot of the um, kind of the no new like I guess black reboots, why do you think they didn't make Will say a black woman? Because I'm kind of curious why they didn't. It makes sense um, why they keep him a straight black male, but. I'm curious he, he to know make him gay. Will Smith in the interview, in Will Smith in the inter, in the interviews about it said that he was given all these different uh, pitch ideas. One was like, you know, make his daughter Willow, like the new, um, you know, mm. Fresh Princess of Bel Air, then have her go from Bel Air back to Philly and have a reverse fish out of water and all these different ideas. But basically, it seems like the answer is as simple as. Two, a convergence of two factors. This is what I'm thinking from interviews I've seen. It seems like Will Smith's career was in a slump at the exact time that the person who's the showrunner of this show, I think his name is Morgan Cooper or something, did a viral video that went viral on YouTube. So I think it was just that synergy of, of those two timings, that, that he just had like his latest um, underperforming movie combined with the youtube buzz around this thing and so i think they just did whatever the youtube influencer 
just happened to do that was that was viral. Like to me, if the Morgan Cooper guy did a version with a woman and that went viral, he would have went that way. Uh, that's my speculation based on the interviews I read. Um, so does, of Will, Smith does Will have a the lot show. of creative control then? Because I know the for the original series, like the three showrunners were, I think Eileen Shaken, like all three of them were white people. But um, but they kind of used his. He had a, like a lot of input, but he didn't have like full control. Does he have a yeah, lot of yeah. say creative control? There was there was Benny there was Benny Medina and two yeah. white people. It was kind of based on Benny Medina's um, life, but um, yeah, the so great show. One, one of my all time favorite shows. Like, that's oh. that's why I'm a little worried about kind of jumping into Bel Air. I mean, Leslie's kind of reeling me into watching it with a with an open eye. Yeah, Will, so. Will Smith. Will Smith is totally uh, behind behind this show. He, he uh, is behind the conception of it. He has been pushing for it. He's at all the premieres, so so he's totally. I forget his exact role in the show, but it's more than just a consultant. He's he's basically. Okay. I mean, overseeing. he can he can shoot down bad ideas. He can put input because I was always wondering, like, okay, how much control does he have? Like, hopefully, he does have some good input. That's always in the back of my yeah, mind. Yeah, but but Martin Will Smith is doing TikTok videos, so I mean he he's on some, he's mean, on some midlife <laughs> crisis stuff himself. So I will, I don't know if I totally trust Martin Will Smith, <laughs> but I mean we'll 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 see. Yeah, because I just with Bel Air, I just remember because I just I can't get out of my head. Uh, I guess you did with uh, Felix from Chapo. Uh, you did, uh, and I think was it Kenny? You guys talked about. Um, black female Donnie Darko and all I just kept thinking in my head when uh, Bel Air came out I'm like what if they make it like a black female Donnie Darko <laughs> I just kept thinking that in my head I don't think you really could make a, a black female Donnie Darko I think that is like a fundamentally like suburban uh midwestern white boy story and I think uh Bel Air is fundamentally like a cis het black male story. Like I don't know that you could really authentically tell a Bel Air story by bending but, the identities of the characters. I mean, they'll but, but, but that bend identities for anything. Yeah, yeah, oh, but, yeah, yeah. But that was the point. That was the point of the joke that none of these new shows are good ideas. So, so that's exactly why I do think a female yeah. Black Diamond Darko would happen, or a female. I mean, because they they race bend like the worst things all the time. That you know. Totally Bridgerton. In the context of the yeah. yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So the fact that it would be Anne a really bad idea. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. yeah that's, so. that's what I was worried about, kind of the rape. Because there's just, there's so much great stories they can put black women in. You know, I'm like, I don't know, like I, I'm a black woman from Canada, just like you, Q, Q Anthony. <laughs> Not from Toronto, from Ottawa. Uh, oh my gosh, the there's so few yes. of you out there. Please be safe. <laughs> no, no, I mean uh, the truckers. Uh, it's it's dying down, but it's still there. So yeah, yeah. No, but, I thought yeah, Carlton no. was. I thought Carlton was weirdly coded. Was weirdly coded gay. I don't think it was intentional, but I feel like his when, attempt to sound white. I, I uh, think they're, they're just instead. someone. Some part. Of, I'm like, I think they might. Like, I don't know. Like the like, maybe like they're holding back a bit. I think they're trying to avoid a lot of that. Say, not black accidents, but that kind of that blavity type stuff and i think they're trying to be more uh, more sober with like the portrayal as 
I'm not watching it, but my guess, like based on Leslie's description and kind of seeing some of the commercials, I think they want to give kind of a good modern twist to it. But I just, part of me, I think they might, Carlton may, they might try to like queer code him. And if they do, like hopefully they do a good job. But because I've always kind of seen Carlton as quasi like kind of queer coded. I mean, but he was in the original, I think. I, I think I think that I think you're right, Tia. I think that is probably something that they're uh, thinking about. I kind of want to. I'm glad you uh, brought up the original uh, pitch for this because it's actually quite interesting. It's very short, but when you watch it, it's like a fake movie trailer, and there's so many shots in it that they actually could have felt like a whole movie. And it's absolutely gorgeous. It's beautiful. It looks better than most TV shows. I was just watch, trying to see if I need to watch this piece Mac peacemaker show and it looks like garbage it looks like something you might shoot on your phone uh compared to this so i think the number one reason why this show got made is that this guy and he was just he's just a fan he just made a a really beautiful looking uh fan you know carrie fukunaga type of fan um trailer for this potential Bel Air show. And then someone and people saw and Will Smith was smart enough to see it and be like, hey, we should really make this a show. It'll probably make a lot of money because it's going to look really good, be really interesting. It's riding uh, this, you know, black prestige wave. But I think, uh, as you said, uh, Sarah, it's moving past the uh, Blavity stuff. I think it is trying to go past the insecures of the world and just think, and certainly the, like the Harlems of the world and try to think of something a little bit more interesting. Uh, I think it's much closer to like an Atlanta or than it is uh, insecure. The one thing that I would say regarding uh, possibly queer coding Carlton, I, I don't know that, I agree with that. I would say that, um, and, and this is the kind of person that I have encountered often, is the the kid who like just didn't get shown enough love and is pining for attention from somebody else. So it's like wherever he can get attention and affection from, he'll take it. And I think that what Carlton sees is not that he just like hates Will because Will is below his class. It's also because Will is the things that he's not, which is what um, was like the the biggest bugbear for the original Carlton is that like, you know, he was like well liked among his peers, but may not have felt like he fully assimilated to that they fully like him because of who he is, but just because of who his family is. And Will comes in and so effortlessly just charms people without having any of the like the social trappings that he has. So that's kind of how I, like it's 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 a very like emasculated kind of performance. And I you know the actor pulls it off incredibly well but i think sometimes talking about, the, talking about the new one you're talking about the new one i mean both the both the new one and alfonso riviero were really good at this was just showing how much like just how jealous carlton is of will even if, like he doesn't actually oh. say it out loud very often but you know even the even the when new I carlton said a queer is, quoting yeah when i said a queer quoting of the new carlton i just mean the cadence of his voice like i feel like he's trying i think like alfonso Ribeiro just more sounded like a black person who grew up around white people. And I feel like this new guy, his voice just sounds more like, um, just kind of like a queen. It doesn't sound like a, it doesn't make me think of a white guy. It just makes you think, but I think he's trying to do a white guy. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just hearing something different. I don't know if anyone else heard something different, but yeah, his voice just sounds, um, I don't know what he's going for with that, with that voice. It's, it's more the voice than the actual narrative. I I feel like I mean I bet that's how he actually talks in real life is the feeling I get. 
Oh, okay, so so you think it's probably just his real voice, maybe? I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know who this actor is. Like, this actor himself might be gay. Like, for all I know, and that might be the thing that's sort of, uh, sort of that we're reading into it. I mean, because he does seem queer coded to me. That doesn't at the moment feel intentional, but again, it remains to be seen what the series, where it's going to go. Cause I could easily see them sort of um, not only queer coding him, but like then going deeper into this thing about like uh, kind of self-hating black, gay, white interracial relationship kind of stuff. Which again, like on the surface, is very interesting, but there's, to me, uh, a nuance to that that I just am not certain this series is really going to go for. Assuming that that happens. Uh, something real quick before we go on to uh, the call to Gabriella, I see Vita in two places, and I keep trying to invite her up. But uh, Vita, are you here and just staying quiet? Or are you in the audience? I can't, I can't tell what's going on. Can't tell what's going on with you. But um, all right. I just want to check check in on. Check well, in we should on probably that. like remove the because I think the the Vita that's up here was I think she might have like signed out and then signed in again. So okay, I think so we may have to like re- yeah remove this Vita and then perhaps like the let the real Vita stand up. Um, also, uh, Renia uh, is up in the uh, the the the, uh, the speakers category. Not sure if you had anything that you wanted to add or comment on, Rennie? Um, not uh yeah. There was something earlier that someone pointed out. Um for me, I actually just started watching the new uh Fresh Prince um series today while I was getting my hair done. Um Is there music playing? Yeah, yeah, there is not in the it's not coming from me. Yeah, I don't think it was weird. Yeah, I don't think it was coming from me either. I, I thought it was you for a second, but okay, it's gone. So this is. Keep... I just thought I just was randomly playing music, but um, <laughs> but um, yeah. So I had just I just seen the first episode. Um, as I was getting my hair done, I thought it was rather interesting. One thing I did notice though was that so, well, first and foremost, I think given the fact that we all enjoyed the original Fresh Prince of Bel Air. I think we all have like these perfect images in our mind and how this show could actually be adapted to play out in like this perfect like way that we sort of like enjoy the film, but it sort of synthesizes it in a way that we want to see it. And so that is where like our disagreements are sort of like stemming from because we're just basically superimposing what we thought we knew about the original and how it plays out in our mind with this, this new one. But one thing I did sort of notice is that someone pointed out, like, that, you know, there there were class antagonisms or they were pretty much aware of the class antagonisms. I believe that the class antagonisms are visible, but I do think they're superficial. Um, and I think this most pertinent in, like, Hillary's character, I think it was, like, T that pointed it out. Like, I believe once they decided that they wanted to go the route of her being dark skinned, I believe she became an extremely precarious figure. Um, they didn't really want to like poke at her character so they can give her some flaws, but they couldn't make her her flaw um, as deep as it was or sort of like the highlight of her character. 
And so, and so what that does for what the, and, and they did it in a way that they didn't have to do with uh, Carlton. Cause like, I agree. I think Carlton, even though he's dark skinned, they sort of just allowed him to be, you know, a caricaturized, vengeful individual. And while that may, ma- and while that may manifest because, you know, he doesn't, you know, he feel like Will is getting more of the maternal love. I just believe that the way they situated it was kind of interesting. And that speaks to the sort of Negro liberalism of the time, because in our current cultural ethos, we understand that, you know, black women absolutely suffer from like colorism and market ways. But it's sort of like we miss that with dark skinned black men. And you can see it in this um, you can see it being imp- portrayed in this particular part with Carlton. So I just thought it was like interesting how that plays out. Yeah, I agree. It was willing to go someplace darker with, uh, no pun intended, the dark skin Carlton than it was with dark skin Hillary. And I think it was kind of like that's kind of norm in, in um, a lot of this new black media today that it's a little safer to poke at, you know, the straight black man than it is the dark skin. Um, black woman but one thing that was weird was i didn't even think the original show needed that much of a corrective on the colorism front because about one-third of the cast was dark skin um one-third of the cast was brown skin and one-third of the cast was was light skin it just seemed like it was kind of overcorrecting for something that i didn't even think was it, it wasn't like this was uh blackish or something that where the whole cast is light and you really need to make a statement you know in i think they one thing I think they did do, which is an interesting way to do it, was even, like the last cast was overwhelmingly like conventionally attractive, and this cast is pretty much the same. Like there wasn't like they didn't even to me try to go for like unconventional attractiveness in any way. Like the the last cast was almost one part just as attractive as the the current cast. Like even though they switched around some of like you know Hillary's dark great- skin now. Yeah. And yeah, 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 that's a great point because some of them are even like hotter. Like for example, Uncle Phil and Jeffrey are now like straight up heartthrob. In my opinion, you know Hillary I mean? is hotter. And, like to be, yeah. Oh, yeah. come on. Coco is like Karen Park Parsons. I was gorgeous. Oh no, no, no. I'm not saying that Karen Parsons is not gorgeous, but to no, me, no, that's arguable. Like, yeah, yeah. It's at least arguable. I can see someone going either way. I guess maybe it depends on your preference or whatever. Like I've, I've just. I never mean, really... I'm gay, so it don't matter. But like, <laughs> I just think yeah, I've, I've never... always thought she's so beautiful. I think you're in Francis. I'm is, with you, Michael. Is... No, I think she is beautiful. I just, I have, I don't know. I guess it depends on your personal preferences. But... I've always found dark-skinned women much more attractive. So, I think it's at I, least. I, I think it's at least arguable. I'll say that. Yeah. Like, like, there's, personally... like, there's not a clear-cut winner, which I think yeah. lends to Rainey's point that they're still comparable to the um, first cast. But I do think, I do think uh, Uncle Phil and Jeffrey are like heartthrob hot now. Like it's, like it's kind of funny. Uh, but uh, Gabriella, I want to give you a chance to speak. You've been waiting. And also anyone else out there, by all means, come up, come up and uh, share your thoughts if you've seen the show. Now we have two Vitas in the audience. <laughs> I'm but, sorry, Vita, if you want to switch spots with me, I am down for that. But can I... Okay, so I've been wanting to ask this question for a couple months of T and Michael, and I feel like, weirdly, this is the one room that 
<laughs> that has lent itself to this question, which is, I I kind of want to talk about the context of when this show is airing within Will Smith's career, if that's okay. Only if it's okay. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I already touched on that. So by all means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I assume, sorry, I was out. So I assume you meant like the King Richard situation. Is that a, is that what you meant? Oh, no, I was more talking about when the show was conceived. Actually, King Richard was, I think, recently a hit. But the show was conceived before <laughs> King Richard. Okay. And it was conceived at a time when uh, he was just coming up. Yeah, yeah. So I think King Richard's trajectory towards, like, obviously now being this really big Oscar play has been really interesting just as somebody who's, like, who follows this really silly award show stuff. Um, and, like, the fact that, like, I feel like there's coded language about people who are like, I don't, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but if you haven't, I mean, it's on HBO Max, but like, you know, Richard uh, uh, Williams, who's, you know, the, who's obviously played by, um, by Will Smith is, you know, playing like a really, really big character and is, is actually very flawed. And a lot of, I, I feel like there was coded language. I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong from the past six months since it premiered, um, of critics that were like, well, is this really going to hit? Because it's essentially about like a black straight man being fairly uh, flawed, to be honest. I mean, I think that's kind of, I don't know, Michael, I would love your thoughts on this, but the idea of this being kind of a triumphant um, play for Will Smith and his producers, which I just thought the timing was so interesting with the, um, you know, the show kind of coming out. So I don't know. I just wanted to kind of hear general thoughts about like, because I, I always found Will Smith's career generally really fascinating, especially with like, like, for example, the other day I was watching Ali and Six Degrees of Separation. I feel like he has this really interesting take on like, you know, trading, you know, switching codes with, you know, white passing uh, characters. So anyway, sorry, just wanted to hear your thoughts on the timing of it. Are you, a question. Are you saying that his portrayal of Richard, um, Serena, Richard Williams, you're saying that like um, he doesn't normally portray characters who are, I I would say, like complex in their lives to the extent that. um, Oh, no, I sorry. I just meant like when I was following like the award circuit, it was like, you know, this is like, I think it's a lot of what T and, you know, Michael talk about, which is like the portrayal of like a really great family man who's like very flawed and a black straight man being kind of portrayed as this like hero character in this specific time frame of the past year or two. Sorry, I don't know if that makes sense or Yeah, you're uh, trying to say that like black men don't really like straight black men don't really get to be flawed characters. Like you have to be like a paragon of virtue or if you're really good right. at playing like a villainous black male character like Denzel Washington did in Training Day. Then yeah, that's a word show bait. But if you play like a, a humanized, like, you know, like a non perfect, like a character who has, you know, like fierce loyalty and dedication towards his daughters, but is also like not the greatest guy, that that yeah, I mean he's too complicated a, for the award yeah, to handle exactly. Like the fact that he's actually like a violent person in the movie, but has still been, you know, I don't know. I feel like this year maybe there was like a, a threshold that was crossed. So I just wanted to hear about the fact that the timing kind of coincided with the show coming out and Will and Jada Smith being producers on King Richard, I thought was really interesting as sort of like portrayal of like a positive black female father. Um, I, 
I wish I had a, a comment about that, Gabriella, but I don't really. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I've just been thinking yeah, about it. Yeah, months. my problem is I haven't seen I haven't seen King Richard. I haven't oh, seen yeah. King Richard either. That's 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 my problem. Because, <laughs> yeah. Because because the reason I'm quiet the reason I'm quiet is I don't like weighing in on things that I haven't seen. So yeah, I keep meaning to see King Richard. I just have been watching things like like uh, Columbo and Murder Show. Right. Like, I've been on yeah. a weird, weird yeah. pandemic watching. I feel like we should. Well, no, I will say, I mean, I will say that um, I the only discourse I was aware of around King Richard were those the people who were complaining about why is this movie about the father. Right, even the fact that Serena and Venus Williams. Yeah, the fact that it didn't do well. Sorry, I just was gonna say the fact that it actually like people are blaming the fact that it's named King Richard versus like Venus and Serena Williams is why it bombed at the box office, which I think is particularly white feminists. But also, there were some black, but I think there were a lot of black women too. Some black women, at least, who like wrote an art, or at least one wrote an article who was like, "Yeah, there was one and." I'm not going to say her name and put her on blast, but she has this, this habit of like, like making the most reductive. And I think like, just, I don't know, uh, obvious observations where it's like, okay, fine. That's, that's the first thought that crossed your mind. Did anything else possibly cross your mind? But I think that that's, that's endemic to, um, movie review culture. Now, like this happens a lot in, uh, film and even like, uh, theater reviews is that, uh people oh god i'll say a lot of black people that get invited to do that kind of reviewing just come in with the most superficial analysis possible and then that's what passes for black film theater and tv review and people who are willing to think about it in any level of depth past just their first gut reaction don't really get uh they don't really get the bylines so yeah i know what you're talking about Michael, because I did see that, okay. that same thing. Yeah. Sorry, but, uh, I will hang up, and well, I will say I think Will Smith might win Best Actor at the Oscars, so maybe we should actually have a room for that. <laughs> uh, did you wait? Did you see the movie? Oh yeah, yeah, I saw the theater. Was he good? Was he good in so, it? He's very good. I think the movie itself is probably flawed, but and it's a little long. But like, I actually think he's he's very good, and he's like the heart of the movie, and the fact that he's like literally like not a perfect you know kind of like cookie cutter male hero is what made me or what made a lot of people like the movie so anyway, has anyone on the stage i've seen the movie has anyone yeah. on the stage read the the book the king the richard uh, williams autobiography is a very strange book uh it, it it's if it's true he's the most insane person on earth like it has a um, <laughs> Leslie, 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 and and Gabriella. Oh, Gabriella left, so she can't answer. But um, Leslie, I don't know if you can tell me. But there's a scene in the book. He has some stuff in the book. I'm like, is this real? Like he dresses up as a Klansman and infiltrates a Klan meeting and like beats up Klan members. And he, um, there's a cop who like does police brutality against him, and he spends like a year hounding this cop. Challenging him to fights and tear like it's like some of, it, yeah, like it's some like of that kind of, yeah it's like a black rotation movie it's crazy 
that stuff is in the book, and it does make him look wild. But uh, some of that stuff is in the film, uh, like uh, like he's in like some violent shootout or something that's not fully explained. But one of the reasons I think that that film is not going to get track traction at during award season is because it's a biopic about black people and it's a biopic about racism about black people and they usually like those those flicks as long as the racism is like historical racism black and white racism slavery civil rights movement march facts that sort of thing settled settled i call yeah i call that settled racism like the kind you can put behind you yeah the racism in this movie is about the racism faced by Venus and Serena Williams and her, and her father. The, the, the racism by people who are still living. The racism of people who are watching this movie who are still racist towards Venus and Serena Williams. So this movie is a movie, even though it's said in the past and deeply in the past, it's a movie about racism now. And I don't think people are very comfortable uh, with that because there's nothing like none of this is settled. None of this is like it happened with the release. Like people are still racist about the Williams sisters like now it's just so it's like it's not the type of movie that Oscars are going to want to reward his his book is in, is insane and I want to look up the story to get it right but uh, basically um, he some farmer did something down south pretty so, 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 so this is what happened he had a friend called Little Man who was caught by the Klan for stealing, and his body was found um, a few days later hanging from a tree with his hands cut off. And all he did was steal like a piece of fruit or something from somebody's um, from somebody's farm. So then Richard Richard Williams uh, had a run-in with Klan members and recalled the crowd, including his own father, looking on and watching while three white men beat him in the street, being uh, Richard Williams. So... Uh, in the book, he says, uh, it's a terrible thing to be so unloved, to know your father would rather let you die than lift a finger to help you, to watch him run off and leave you alone. So his father kind of, um, you know, abandoned him. So he got really uh, upset. And this is part that if I saw in a movie, I'd be like, okay, come oh, on. Stop God. It, stop I'm sorry. It. I just got that. I got that image of um, that Boondocks episode where uh, Tom got punked by his date and his waiter was like, sorry, man. Would let that shit happen to me though. Yeah, yeah, couldn't, couldn't be me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so he got he got so mad that he decided he was going to leave Shreveport for Chicago. But, but before he left, he decided to exact revenge on the Klan. So he gets the role, the white robes of a local Klansman. Then he drives, he dresses up as a Klansman and goes to a nearby white neighborhood where he attends a Klans meeting, dressed dress up as a Klansman. And then when he gets the white farmer alone. He viciously beats up the white farmer and his teenage son um, with a stick. And I'm like, I know they're not going to show that in the new movie. And yeah. I'm guessing that I'm guessing that they didn't, right? It's so it's subtly referenced. The beating is referenced, but it's just it doesn't go too far into it because, as you say, all of his story is not fully like believable <laughs> and you can kind of pick that up from watching the movie so like they couldn't just put everything in there I'll I want that to, I want it to be true so bad like, his stories are just straight out of, like Streetback's badass song <laughs> it's, an, it's an incredible it's an incredible biography I recommend everybody read it like he is just some of it's so crazy I think it has to be true because I feel like nobody would, would make that up you know but I don't know 
Um, oh, Gabrielle. Well, the thing you, I think I got the upside I want to say about the movie, though, it's not just about the racism. It actually is just about that being delusional, having a delusional belief in yourself. There's no oh, yeah. way to really, like, succeed in such a horrible world, especially if you're black. You have to. And all about it's all about him building this, like, ridiculous self-confidence mm-hmm. into Venus and Serena that he had in himself. He believed yeah. in himself. Yeah. That tracks, yeah. that that tracks, that no tracks in the book. That definitely tracks say, in the book. He's definitely the... Okay. <laughs> Yeah, which, like, I'm kind of obsessed with, to be honest, because, like, again, and I, I know, I like, I don't want to spoil anything, but again, like, this has been on HBO Max for two months, guys. Everybody, please go watch it. Um, it's the fact that, like, I'm watching this, and I'm like, wow, I, I kind of, as somebody who, like, works in media and is whatever white, like, I'm like, I don't remember the last black biopic that, you know, just, like, portrayed a black family man of somebody like they they do allude a little bit to like the fact that he, this is not his first family you know he does have children from a past family and the fact that like he is violent like it's kind of like a success at all costs and you know the fact that like he just he's trying to break his children into a very white focused sport I I, I don't know I guess I just thought that was really interesting and um I feel like that was not really touched on because again most critics are white people who don't want to touch that topic but i don't know i guess i don't know i i I thought that was really an interesting take on like a two and a half hour movie that we normally don't get about a black man because like i feel like the last one we got was probably what like ray and that was very much or things like even like respect right like the last aretha franklin movie sorry that was so funny yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry, Trevor. Um, I just wanted to confirm we, that, like, there are. So sorry, that's yeah. my computer going off. I keep forgetting that my computer sounds play through the uh, through the uh, microphone. So sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, like you can tell that all the flaws that they allowed into the movie by the director, who's actually really great, is um, things that like Warner Brothers was like, okay, we can like have a little peek at his past, you know, flawed like whatever life, but not too much right like we still have to focus on this nuclear family out of compton california that made it into the grand slams anyway that's that's what i wanted to say uh, um did they have him having uh like like war like a little battle with the gang members and yeah. stuff because uh that was another thing in the book okay, yeah there's cool. a lot yeah that's oh. what i meant to say i don't want to spoil it but there is violence gang violence okay um, you know, I, I want to bring up something else about the actual um, um, Bel Air show. Something, but some people like this, so this is it's up to your taste. You know, this is not necessarily a bad thing. It just wasn't what, what I personally like. So you know, it's very subjective. But I felt it was falling into the whole hero's journey thing, which I'm not automatically against hero hero's journey, but it's so overdone that I feel like if you're gonna do it, I really want it like well executed and it wasn't horribly executed but it wasn't anything new like him trying to find his way and i kind of wish they had it i feel like nowadays with drama there's like this one model for everything now everything has to be uh hero's journey so you have to see him kind of he has this kind of call to you know a challenge and he has to figure out how to um meet the challenge and so now he's going through this white school and he's waving at everybody 
and people are dissing him and he's not fitting in, which is an interesting story to tell, but I think it kind of robs a lot of the charm of the original Will Smith um, character in that I like how effortless everything was for him in the first one. And in uh, fiction, they call that like a flat arc uh, character. Like um, in the Captain America movie, for example, the, the first one, um, that was an interesting movie because they didn't follow the traditional hero's journey. He starts off perfectly moral. And like a flat arc character is somebody who, um, instead of them changing, when people encounter them... Everybody they, around them bends to them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, for example, um, Captain America was always like a very moral stick-up for uh little guy against the bullies kind of person, even before he had the muscles. And then he just gets the muscles, he gets the chance to, um, you know, back it up. And he just makes everybody a better person. Like in, in anime, like and uh, in, in manga, like Goku is a classic flat art character. Like every bad guy he runs against uh, ends up becoming good. And he basically um, doesn't actually change as, as far as like, well, not exactly becoming... becoming good, but they kind of like they do adapt to Goku's sort of like happy-go-lucky. Like on the one hand, he's just like really silly and goofy and and dumb, but there's this like underlying intelligence where he's actually trying to fake the bad guy out by remaining true to his principles and morals, and everybody has to like change their game and adapt to him. And yeah, I, I but see what you mean yeah, but but it's very different than say uh, Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker in the first movie is very much a different person by the third movie in terms of mature, more balanced, less hot-headed. Like, Goku was the same guy throughout. Eats a lot of food, is is naive but good-hearted, likes to fight. And it's his unchangingness that, you know, changes everybody around him. And I felt like the original Fresh Prince was that type of character. Like, he's pretty much the same guy throughout. He goes to the white school, and by the end of the day, everyone's talking hip-hop, and wearing the jackets uh, inside out. So I would have liked the drama a little bit better if it was more of a flat arc thing. But I feel like now that's the only way people know how to do drama. They read Save, Save the Cat by Blake Snyder and all this stuff. And <laughs> they think everything has to be this one um, format of doing things, which isn't inherently bad. There's still a lot of Hero's Journey stuff that I like, you know, like, I'm not saying Hero's Journey is automatically bad, but I think flat arc is rarer. So to turn a flat arc story to a Hero's Journey story, I think took away something that I think is missing a lot and that this could have been a good chance to portray and be a little bit uh, different. Being a little bit, I don't know, aren't you exaggerating by saying that the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air has a story? I mean, like, the TV show is just absurdity. It's like not real it's just like a couple of sets and a couple of people it's like a, a old real old school sitcom i don't think there's a lot of integrity to but, like but, the story but, or but, the but, characters but I, I will, like that's worth like i will say this i think the old one had better social commentary than because in the in the in the in the um uh absurdity they would have these surprisingly profound or thoughtful moments like for example I mean, when after school when Willis, special I mean, it was kind of after school special, but I think it kind of almost works better when you break the comedy or the absurdity with those, like, uh, with the cop being pulled over and Carlton at the end wondering 
Um, was he just doing his job and and those type of things? I like because this was kind of after school's. Uh, I can't explain it. This feels the nostalgia vampire is whooping your ass, bro. Like you just you you got bit by the nostalgia bug. So, no, 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 no. I'll tell you what, it's not the nostalgia vampire because surprise, I watched the Fresh Prince of Bel Air for the first time last week. I've never been into the show, so you've never watched Fresh Prince of Bel Air until last week. Nope, nope. That's an interesting take. That's yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not nostalgia. Uh, when it first came on, I wasn't a huge Will Smith <laughs> fan. I wasn't a huge Will Smith fan because I thought he was kind of like I was into like like hard rap, so I was like he's kind of corny. I'd watch it sometimes when it came on. Oh, you just like me? You went to everything negative. So yeah, so I watched the whole. Nigga said season, I love um, violence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I just watched the whole thing last week, so I didn't come into it with the uh, preconceived uh, nostalgia, but I just felt. It just had the drama. I think actually worked better in Fresh Prince than this one. Believe it or not. Well, I you just I reminded think, me of something. To me, I I did watch Fresh Prince and it was on. Though the years for me has wiped away a lot of what I thought about it. Though I do have like warm feelings about some aspects of it. But I actually think that to t- Trevor's point, part of the reason why a lot of the commentary landed better was because of the actual structure that was a half hour sitcom every episode had a beginning middle and end and so just by the very nature of that they had to land their points um in order to end the episode whereas in this hour-long drama format that is more of a melodrama going on forward they don't have to do that so they can just throw things in there sprinkle things in there and just keep sort of rolling and and that for me is like you know you know what I kind of feel effective. like you know what I kind of feel like is happening here is that like it, it goes back to whether you like the story format of Star Trek and Star Trek: The Next Generation or whether you like mm. the story format of Discovery. Whereas like or Star have Trek: you seen and The Next Generation, where well, well, yeah, but like if you if you like shows that wrap themselves up in an hour and there may be a, a long arc over the course of a season, but you didn't necessarily have to watch each episode to know what's happening throughout the season, like you could just watch mm. a, a Star Trek episode and still have a, a sense of what's going on versus Discovery. You have to have watched like the season all the way through to really understand what's going on. And I think Are you some of it is me. Oh yeah. yeah. I've been a Trekkie. That's um, crazy. I watched like the season. I watched the series finale at the Sky Dome on the big screen. That's but, like, My mom's a Trekkie. I, I, you know what? It's funny. It's just like, it's like, I think it's like, it's got to be, I really would like to see some sort of stats on this, but I'm positive that it's got to be somewhere between like a quarter and a third of black people um, are like diehard Trekkies. But I, I think it, I think a lot of it comes down to the preference between whether you like the episodic format or whether you like the like the long arc format. So All right, I you, guess you know what the my response this. to that is, I'm speaking very specifically about the social commentary that Trevor brought up. Mm-hmm. And so for sure, it remains to be seen whether they're going to take the themes that they're raising episode by episode and it's going to, by the end of the season, sort of land in a satisfying place. I'm just saying that, like, uh, it was much easier in the sitcom format for when they did break away from the comedy to understand the points that they were trying to make about whether it was an issue or class things or whatever, or race things or whatever, Whereas in this hour-long format that's ongoing, I just find it raises more questions than an answer. 
Yeah, I got a transition for you guys. Go ahead. Go ahead, So, so cute. Of all the people that Gene Roddenberry really like loved on a personal level when he was making the original series back in like 65, 66, who was top of that list? The people that he liked? That he loved personally on a personal level. Who was the top of the oh, list? Oh, I, I, I don't know. Uh, you, I think you do. Who is the, uh, who is the, uh, who is the actress? Uh, you should know. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Played yeah, by um, Nichelle Nichols. Nichelle Nichols. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's yeah. a little bit about like, in terms of, I think Roddenberry, uh, I mean, I think Roddenberry really loved her, you know, the society, people, whether that makes him a, you know, probably doesn't make him a good person or that he was not married to her and he had a much more powerful position in Hollywood and life. But just in terms of your comment about uh, the black fall of the Star Trek, I think, I think uh, Gene's feelings there really were from the heart, even if people wouldn't, uh, wouldn't get it necessarily. No, I think that, uh, I think he had like a very sort of utopian view of the world and he did deliberately like uh, make uh, diverse casting choices, not just out of like trying to like pander to any sort of like political correctness because it was deeply unpopular at the time. Some of the casting choices and story choices right. he made, but that's because he was like in, you know, in like the 25th century, this is what humanity is going to look like the idea that we'd still have the same types of um, social frictions and so forth that we haven't evolved past them is deeply ridiculous to him, which is right, why he right. went that direction. Yeah. Well, it's, it's also, it's also a direct, uh, you know, it's direct Camelot, JFK, liberalism. Uh, there's a little bit of element of magic. I think the personality of, of Lucille Ball was a big part of what made, uh, what made Star Trek happen. Uh, and anyways, Trevor made a really good point. Uh, I, I haven't watched uh, the new, the new Fresh Prince. Didn't really watch. I probably have seen more like gifts that reference like uh, Carlton's like missed three point shot at the end than I've actually watched the actual show or Will Smith looking around the living room. I, I, I will say to you that for a lot of people who say that they love the old show, they probably like that's probably the same case where they haven't actually they didn't watch the show in the original run and probably caught the occasional episode. I mean. I kind of feel like people have a much more rosier point of view on that show um, due to either like trying to fit in culturally or due to right. like long, long departed nostalgia than they actually do like the show. Right. And I, I wanted to, I wanted to make a point. Trevor had a really good uh, point about how everybody uses the, uh, the Joseph Campbell, Carl Jung hero's journey. You know, the protagonist has to have some kind of challenge where they, you know, change themselves and become a new person. And, you know, the, the whole world that, that uh, the king of aesthetics in popular culture when Fresh Prince was on the air was Don Simpson, who was still at his peak, still doing like an eight ball a day, still like spending, you know, tens of thousands of dollars a week on hookers and sports cars and whatnot. And, and as much as Don Simpson is thought of as like a drug addict clown like after he died, when you look back at the eighties and you look back at the mindset. Yeah, but he produced some kick-ass movies though, didn't he? He did. And, and you know, the thing is the Don Simpson arc, and I think this is true with, with Will Smith and bad boys and true with the, the Tom Cruise stuff, the whole, the whole Don Simpson formula, you know, apart from the aesthetics kind of being based on, you know, freebasing, uh, you know, as an experiential thing, the whole thing is like the protagonists, they don't learn shit. They just kind of like, they're still kind of immature people that just get through on the power of their charm and pizzazz and desire to improvise. They learn nothing. They're still like immature dudes at the end, but they get the girl, you know? And that's just a very different world. It's a very like 80s mindset where Reagan kind of like steamrolled over communism and it all kind of worked out in a big parade. It's definitely of the time. And I think it's hard. Trevor had a good point that like, 
uh, he wasn't saying what, you know, in terms of mentioning the 80s source of the character in those arcs, but it's just a very, very different world now. We don't want to see like a self-indulgent narcissistic dude necessarily just kind of have fun and, and do things his way. I mean, I think, I think maybe we do in that actually like commercially is not a bad instinct for people, but in terms of the politics of the time, in terms of what a studio wants to create, in terms of trying to create a more inclusive entertainment project, we're, we less, we don't want to create that kind of character arc. Right. Yeah. I think the, I think you're right that the people themselves would actually want to see it. And commercially we see that all the time, but I think it's not fitting into the current cultural ethos of what is, um, promoted you know so yeah i mean i feel you mm -hmm. on that um, yeah i think people oh, do generally want to see some sort of some level of development or like change because we don't live in the kind uh, of world uh, where that, that can be explained by simple stories like people are just too smart for that now so i think um, uh, uh, like, yeah, i don't think it's a smart thing i don't think it makes you smarter to like the hero's journey like I'm, that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is i just think people just don't want i think people don't want to see somebody i think people now want this type of relate relatability rather than inspiration is more what i'm thinking i think people mm. feel almost attacked by somebody who's too too effortless in, in things so yeah i'm i'm saying something a little bit different i'm saying like i think um it's almost politically incorrect to have him come in there and be this man and just be um the man like you know i think he will kind of need to be there and be a little humble i think this this love interest is going to help him a lot i think it's be very important that this girl lisa kind of pulls him along and you know shows him what he needs like in episode four when she's kind of teaching him about carol walker and intersectionality i was like okay i can see <laughs> <laughs> what they're gonna, what they, what they're kind of doing with this? So, yeah. so I, I meant more like Le Leslie said something um, particularly interesting earlier when he was speaking on uh, the Richard Williams thing when he suggested that um, the reason why the film was so palatable to the uh, to current white audiences is because uh, it speaks of uh, racism. It, it doesn't speak of um, it doesn't it speaks of racism around the current milieu and how those people still exist today. And that was one of the reasons why it wasn't as palatable because these people tend to like films that talk about uh, racism in the past and things that have been resolved and have a solving for. I think there's an interesting combination what's going on with the Bel Air film in relation, except it's in reverse and it's in relation to the class antagonism. And part of the reason why I think we see it as visible but superficial is because with the original um, the original French of Bel Air happened at a time, sort of like a precursor to the ushering in of the uh, black neoliberal, uh, black neocolonial era. So within a t within the past twenty five years, we saw the emergence of um, uh, you know uh, newer technologies such as social uh, social media, twenty four hour uh, cable news. Um, we see uh, a lot more, um, a lot more ushering in of like black folks who are a lot more visible in their presence, and we see a lot more um, mayors, elected officials, uh, presidents, vice presidents who are black who have sort of uh, taken up this neo-colonial art, and because we really understand how violent 
um, those kind of striver class blacks are, we look at this current film and we say, well, you know, it's pretty superficial how they're sort of like relating the, um, the class antagonism, though it is visible. So in a very real way, they're, they're aware of that it exists, but they're unaware of how deeply violent it is in a way that we understand it because in the past 25 years, we've seen it come full headed esteem. Like we, we've seen all these mayors, these black mayors basically put forth agendas that are, that are tantamount to, you know, the, the state agenda as, as it's always been. So it's like, I think that's something that has happened in 25, um, the past 30 years that wasn't necessarily present. Like in the um, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air original show, it was, it was sort of like, yes, this is a rich black family, but we hadn't seen so much of it. It wasn't yeah. too, it wasn't too much before uh, Cosby, the Cosby fan, um, the Cosby, uh, era where you know that was the first time we saw you know uh, a rich black family so it was sort of like still in those very emergent and beginning stages so, but today we see it all the time and now we have like, like material excess everywhere yeah exactly so you know getting below that surface is i think is also important here's the other question too i'm like okay so this is not a judge he's not even a da like he's running for da i'm like what kind of lawyer was uncle phil that he had that kind of money because, like, you know, lawyers can make a lot of money, but that is, like, you be, like, a Hollywood lawyer to be in that kind of money. Well, he could have but, been, like, a Tom Girardi type where he got, like, some big settlement. Yeah, fair enough. But, 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 but this Uncle Phil seems way richer than the first one because this house oh, yeah. is ridiculously bigger than the first house. It's, it's outrageous. He's definitely way more resourceful. Like, he has more connections than Verizon, it appears. Like, he's extremely resourceful. Whereas it just seems like we knew, um, we knew uh, Uncle Phil was a was a was a was a judge, but it didn't feel like he was as resourceful and connected as this one seemed. And- um, I want to ask a question, um, and it goes back to my flat arc thing. I'm not sure what Will's role in this one is, and maybe it's clear, and I'm just not getting it, but. My feeling was that in the first one, from watching the first one, and I felt good I was able to watch both of them first for the first time back to back. But the first one, I clearly know what his role is, and it's to loosen up the family, you know, and and to kind of bring, like, the hip-hop energy to all these stuffy places and kind of deliver a type of authenticity. Whether you like that role for him or not, I can understand it, but... This is something that, that um, Michael and I were talking about, because Michael and I were talking about this um, show. And one thing that Michael brought up to me was that he doesn't understand what Will's role is. His journey is as presented in the drama. It's not as clear. Like, is he there to fit in? And and is he there to change the family? Is he there to avoid the guy who he, he got shot at? You know, so is it more about him? And I was wondering, do you feel his role is um clear or unclear or do you think that's even a bad thing do you think it's actually if it isn't clear do you think that might actually be um a, a good thing and i was wondering what people think about that and i will open it up to ryan to jump in as well like you can on un- i just don't think his role is in on this question too yeah that that's true hillary is actually kind of almost becoming a co-protagonist i would almost say and, and uncle phil as well they're the two of them are very um, 
vying for screen time with him. Yeah, I think in the first well, one, he's a lot more central to the uh, actual. I can agree with that for sure. Well, I'll just uh, say. Uh, 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 since you brought it up, let me just ask you, who do you think is the second and third most um, central? Like, like, like um... man, poor Ryan's never going to get a word in. No, no Ryan, please, please, please go ahead. <laughs> you, 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 <laughs> no, you can finish your thought because I was I was just going to open up and say um, I'm very familiar with the first the first Fresh Prince. I watched it in real time um, all the time back when it was actually a new series. Um, but this new one I have yet to watch. Um, I've avoided it for the reasons that kind of Michael was articulating. I was getting the sense I was having the hesitations that he was literally saying like what he was saying is what, what I was getting from it. And really, I, what I really, really wanted to come up and talk about was when T brought up the whole, uh, the idea of like the flat arcs and the hero's journey stuff. And like, I think that like, um, just knowing what I know when it comes to like how they write these shows now, um, well, they're well, very, well, Ryan, Ryan, real quick, you should probably, Give the context of your of what you do for a living, because I think it would help contextualize what you're about to say. Well, uh, I'm a screenwriter, um, so yeah. Either I'm, you know, like I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not as a, a very accomplished one. I'm not gonna sit here and be Hollywood and be like, oh, I've done all this great shit. But yeah, I write, and I, you know, I have I have some experience doing this. But uh, knowing what I know behind the scenes about how these shows are made, um, and having some interaction with Westbrook actually the people who make the show um i just know how beholden they are to this the, the shit that that T's mentioned they're very beholden to you know the you know the hero's journey save the cat um they're just like you can like all that that's my problem i think it was mateo that mentioned uh don simpson and like how he had this different model like if you look at a film like one of my one of my favorite films is actually a, a don simpson film and that's charlie Varick. And the way Mateo described it is like, yeah, he has these characters. They have really have no arcs. They're just sort of kind of like selfish guys. And like by the end of the movie, they haven't changed at all. And like when you watch that, when I watch those type of movies now, it's refreshing. Because like everything that comes out of like the studios now that's made. And I mean, I know Michael could speak to this too. I know he works in television. But whether it's TV or whether it's a feature, you know, uh, arena, like this stuff is all beholden to these like templates and it's like you can literally right now open the hero's journey up right and copy all the steps and and like make a story and change every single one of them to be the opposite of what the hero's journey says you can and it will still work like it would still work like and that's what these people don't understand and like that's part of it that's part of the reason why it's like you can like we can sit here and put like i think t you're on the you're kind of like on the money in terms of like how you're predicting probably what's going to happen next because it's fairly sort of by the numbers like they don't really they don't really vary things up or switch things up or add a lot of stuff to this and in terms of like the like the class politics like that's all surface level shit like i think we you know a few of us have already mentioned it's like superficial because it very it very much is superficial right but to speak to uh the thing about like the original how will smith's character came in and he was the one who sort of like added the hip-hop like element to the this this like upper class Bel Air world, right? He was he was injecting that. You got to remember, like when that came out, like during that time, specifically in the '90s, right? Like that 
it, hip hop was this new thing. It had not been sort of completely, uh, this was the beginning of it being co-opted completely, right? So now we live in this post sort of like, where hip hop now is like the biggest genre of music, right? And it's like, it's been completely corporatized and like, it's just, um, it's just the way that like, the tendrils of capitalism, right, have already just completely squeezed the shit out of it. And like, so, so like, the a character now coming from like the streets of Philadelphia, right, in one of these shows, he's not going to have the same role because like, you get like, all these bourgeois black people that exist now, they they just sort of like, uh, it's it's very common for them to be like, oh, uh, and I think someone mentioned this, right? Like, like there's, you know, anytime you get somebody who's of a, a from a certain class, a, a black person from a certain class, they're quick to be like, oh, but I'm from the streets. I think it was Q that was talking about, I'm from, you know, like I'm from, you know, you haven't been there in a long time. But see, now that's how black people know how to navigate. They understand that like, like uh, I can code switch and I can do all of these. Like there is a level of sophistication amongst black people now um, when it comes to, the class, like the differences in class, even though there's like n- not a lot of class consciousness mainstream wise, like because that's been sort of like brainwashed out of everybody. <laughs> but like, uh, like there is a, it doesn't have the same, like the role of the Will Smith character in this new one is just not going to be the same. Like, what is he going to do? Come in there and and be what exactly? Like he's not. It's it's, it's still not going to be effective. One thing that bothers me with the whole hero's journey thing is how they literalize the crown and how they keep having the crown motif and, you know, he's going to have to con- get his crown. Exactly. I'm, just, I'm like, oh, this is just too heavy-handed. Like, but, I, I can see the threshold, the abyss, death, and rebirth, the whole atonement, the call to adventure. It's very templatized. Like, I call it... Yeah, it's on uh, the nose. Sorry, Go ahead, Michael. Go ahead. But also, like, literally, because of just the way that this whole series was conceived by this person morgan cooper doing the the movie trailer and like taking the 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 theme song like they're gonna try to literally do that this is how he became a prince of a town called bel-air so they're gonna do they're gonna like just play that out and and they're gonna like wrap that with within all of the like class trappings without ever really taking a step back to unpack what that really means in today's climate or in the the climate of the story that they've written like there are implications to all of the things that they're putting out there and it's throwing all this stuff in the soup and i just don't and i think it's going to just bubble over and be ridiculous by the end of this season or and into the next now i I haven't watched this but like tell me for you guys that have watched it so am i right to understand that like the will smith character right is the the new will in this version right He's from Philly, right? But like, he's more like active, like he's violent in a way that he wasn't in the in the original, right? Like he was. I don't like, know. How I would say that. I would say like he's. Uh, I don't know. He, he's like brash. He's cocky. I wouldn't call him violent per se. I just think that he's got the. <laughs> he does pull a gun on the dude. He does pull See, a gun on the dude. See, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. He pulls but it's gun. also like, but like, okay, so yeah, I get what you're like, saying. What it's would, hard for me to call that violent, to be honest. See, see, what would like cause. Uh, someone's mom to not only like want to move out of the neighborhood, but to move you all the way out of the state to Cali, like to the other side of the other side of the U.S. Like it would have to be something that's definitely life threatening. So in the original right. series, like you don't really think too hard about it, but if they're going for some sort of dramatic realism, it does have to be something that's life threatening. 
Well, my, my, my point of pointing that out is just to, because I'm wondering, right? Like, like there used to be uh, just shows about normal black people, right? And what I mean by that is the depictions of regular working class black people or poor black people. There used to be depictions like that, like of just, these are people, right? But now like, it's either like, you get these depictions of like these striver black people, these these bourgeois black people, like the new Candyman, which like everyone is like, you know, are they're completely? It's the complete. They're, they they listen, come from. Listen, the, come rock, rock is rock is never coming back. It's never gonna happen. Right, right. It's not. You're <laughs> right. Rock isn't gonna come back. You know, which is sad, but you know. But like I'm just saying, like now that's it's a trope. Like it's a it's a trope. It's like you're either like you're in the war zone. You're like you're you're literally in the war zone, or you're in in Bel Air. Like it feels like this is a this show specifically just highlights sort of that way that there is no longer this idea of like regular people just living their lives. Like he can't, you know, obviously that that's the premise of the original, but I'm just, I'm not surprised that that got heightened or intensified even more in this, because that's just how they depict black people all the time. Now, you know, it's, there's never, there's hardly very few depictions of black people. Just, you know, they're either, again, they're either almost destitute, and like engaged in criminal activity or they're bourgeois. Like, yeah, there's no, the there's no banality. There's no black banality. Great. Yeah, that's right. There's no black banality. That's like gone now. Oh, what does pass for black banality is not black banality. Like I know Insecure is getting so much credit uh, for supposedly being this first show supposedly that showed regular black people. I'm like, all these people went to Stanford. And one yeah. of them is like a white school lawyer. Like, how is this uh, black banality <laughs> at, at, at all? Like, it's almost like it has got because so Issa ridiculous. has to drive an Uber to pay rent. Is what it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or sorry, exactly. drive a lift. But yeah, I think that speaks I mean, to, that spe- it speaks to the people that create the show. So it speaks to those. It speaks to people like Issa who are you know they want to be perceived as like the way white people are. It's like their proximity to whiteness is very important to them. You know what I mean? Or like how yeah. how how. How even even when their proximity to other black people is depicted, it's still like about the proximity to whiteness. Weirdly, like because it's like I want to be a regular black people, but like a regular like I'm a, a regular black person. Like the way I think regular white people are, and the way I think regular white people are are this sort of like upper middle class person, you know, with access to a certain you know lifestyle. Are certain, you know, like that's how they wanted to be depicted because they feel like, oh, you know, and I've heard pushback from these types where they're like, oh, you're just, well, we're, we're not all this way. And it's like, first of all, why are you getting so uh, defensive, right? Like, no one's saying that like all black people are one way. But to be honest with you, like, it feels like you are trying to depict uh, a certain type of lifestyle that is very uncommon for the majority of black people in this country. Mm. And it's like, what is the benefit of doing that besides pushing bullshit striver narratives over and over again? I would say, I mean, and not that I'm defending this because I think you're right, but I would also say, like, how often do you find television, period, that, like, any longer depicts the life of average working class people at all? Like, the the most, uh, the biggest TV shows on right now are shows like Yellowstone and Succession, or it's like superhero mm. shows or it's like you know like there's there's some element of the surreal on the fantastic that we can't even necessarily relate to like you don't have your like married with children's anymore you don't ha- you don't even have like regular sitcoms anymore so well, i would even, say that 
even married with children, yeah. though, Q. Like, think about that for a second. Al Bundy's Everyone had his hates house. Chris. Right. But he has a big house and supported his whole family. He was a fucking shoe salesman. Like, yeah. when, we really, when you really think about that, you're like, wait a minute, how is that possible? Like, even in 90s math, like, how is that possible? Yeah, like, so it's unrealistic <laughs> as hell. Yeah. But, I mean, but at the same time, like, Sex in the City, you had, you know, Carrie was working as a, uh, like, a, a relationship columnist, and she had this big ass apartment oh, that was, like, oh, going oh, off and oh, wait, wait, but, buying but, Louboutin but, shoes. No, yeah. no, they got a lot of money back then. There's a tweet that um, went out today where somebody was sharing Candace Bushnell's, Bushnell's, uh, story and 90s writing gigs were uh insane like uh mm. but basically she was making um i'm gonna tell you exactly what it what it was i mean it's it's depressing if you actually um find out but i will i will tell you tell you this she would have to be like that, in mid six figure range to be living that kind of lifestyle um like if she wasn't pulling, is, if she wasn't if she wasn't pulling in at least 200k a year there's no way she'd be able to live well, like she was well, living. Well wait wait a minute is wasn't she like a writer like a columnist in that show? Yeah, she was right? a yeah, she was well, a relationship. Well yeah, columnist. well back well back then, right? I don't know about relationship columnist specifically, but like when you were writing like there was I think it was like Brett Easton Ellis was talking about this one time like like the amounts of money he used to get just to write small little pieces in like these publications. He was like, yeah, I would get like 60 grand to write like 30,000 words. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was really crazy. It was really crazy. If you did that consistently, you were easily pulling in like that much, you know? Uh, uh, um, I'm, uh, I'm going to tell you right now, Candace Bushnell uh, published something today in the New Yorker. And she's, and this is a verbatim in the nineties. For me, it was a real time for media. I worked for Vogue writing the people are talking about column and got paid $5,000 a month. The Observer paid, this is 5000 in 1990s money, not 5000 yeah. now. Uh, the Observer yeah. paid less, but I could afford that because of Vogue. She wrote at, the, at Vogue and got 5000 and wrote at Observer, which paid a little bit less. Let's say like um, 3000 I mean, this was a time that writers were getting a Vanity Fair contract for six pieces and $250,000 a year. Jesus people Christ. Valued, people valued writing. It wasn't considered something everyone can do. Um, so so basically, the 90s was a fucking weird-ass time. Yeah, um, and so those people also writing. had no debt whatsoever. Exactly. It, it, they probably didn't even go to grad school. Or college. They might have graduated. Yeah, I was going to say, a lot of them didn't go to college. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it was like they weren't They weren't taking MFAs and racking up six. Yeah, like Fran Lebowitz. Yeah. Like, she was one of those people. She has a high school diploma, and that's it. Yeah, and, and, and back then, people were buying publications. The, the circulation used to be millions. It wasn't just relying on clicks on websites and, you know, just trying to cobble together as many clicks as you can to pay somebody uh, substance wages. You know what I mean? So, right. yeah, it was but, a I mean, very to, weird time. To the point, and, and, you know, it's a really good set of questions you raised, Ryan. Um, but to the point, like, you don't really find a lot of TV at all. Like I don't, I, I know that we're focusing on like black TV and, and what relationship uh, Bel Air has to black television and, and what does it say about the broader zeitgeist. But if you look at the total zeitgeist, you don't really see much that relates to working class people at all anymore. So I don't, I don't think it's just what's, black art. What's on network art. television these days? I couldn't even tell you, bro. I haven't watched. Because there I is suspect like, that so that's long. where if there is any of that representation it's probably on network television is my guess 
Abcot Elementary is something that has like I started watching it and I enjoy enjoy it thoroughly, and I believe it comes on on ABC. And so that might be something that I don't know if everyone's seen it, but that is, yeah, but that Elementary is like interest. that's that's like a episodic crime series. You know what I mean? Like, and and the thing is like huh? because everyone. Oh, wait, 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 no, no, no! You think you think of the wrong show. You think of Elementary. This is Abbott Clearly. Elementary. It's oh, Abbott Elementary. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, you think of Elementary, the Shredder. Yeah, the one with uh, well, what's her name? With um, uh, Lucy the, she came out of uh, Twitter. Yeah, no, yeah, Quinta Brunson. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, that's dope. I haven't, I haven't she's watched dope. that one yet. Yeah, yeah you should. But, like, I think generally we've kind of succumbed to the disease of prestige television, so everything has to be like. This like super important, like highly produced, highly scripted, um, like long arc format, and the the art of like, I would say like even shows like Community and um, Parks and Rec, like that's generally gone the way of the dodo bird. Uh, actually, I just remember the show. Um, I don't know if it's still on the air. Actually, it ended in two thousand twenty one. I just looked it up. There was a show on CBS called Mom, and it ran from. 2013 2021 i actually stopped watching it like third season but that was like white working class people like it was um allison janney from west wing she was like a ex-alcoholic mom or something or and her her daughter it was like they lived in an apartment together they had odd jobs it was and they were both in rehab and and it was just a really interesting sitcom what's interesting about this show nobody talks about it it never gets any discussion on Twitter. There's no like live tweeting. There's no like um, um, blog recaps on decider.com or anything. But it was like a top 10 show for its whole run. Like there's a strange disconnect between um, people like us who, uh, you know, talk about prestige TV and discuss things. Um, online and then like regular joes in the midwest who yeah watch net watch network tv this thing all, all of, i had no idea it was have, doing that well i was gonna say all of us have succumbed to septinwallitis exactly exactly uh adam Sepinwall, the 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 writer i had no idea this thing had so many ratings until like i looked at it and even when it got canceled it was still doing like uh five million in the ratings but i think it at one point, it was like in the top ten and doing like ten, fifteen, twenty million, and Holy no point. one talk, no one talks about, no one talks about this show. Just want to say rather quickly, I'm about to uh, head out, y'all. Yeah, um, I definitely appreciate the conversation, but uh, peace. Thank you for having. Yeah, me. thanks for coming on. No yeah, problem. yeah. And, and uh, sorry, Rennie, uh, is there anything you have before you go? Is there anything that you want to plug? Yeah, definitely. Yo, I definitely want to plug. Everybody, go ahead and subscribe to. Um, the Drop Squad podcast. Um, one of my co-hosts is here, uh, Q. As, um, uh, but yeah, definitely uh, sub- subscribe if you can. Uh, we we do weekly uh, podcast episodes on calling um, every Wednesday. Um, we get stupid, silly, but um, yeah, I mean it's very cultural, artsy, um, and political. So yeah. I, w- I was gonna wrap up, but I see Jason is in the queue. So let's end it. Let's end it with Jason. I, I always appreciate Jason's contributions. So we'll have Jason as the last caller. Uh, feel free to unmute Jason. Hey, what's going on? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, we can you hear sound you. pretty clear. All right, How are you feeling? Awesome. 
I feel great, man. I um, you know, I'm, I'm fully recovered from my second case of COVID despite vaccination. So I'm beating the odds. Oh baby. wow. Um. So look, I, I appreciate that qualification and introduction, but I don't have anything smart to say. I just had a question for you all because you were going back and talking about sort of formula trope, um, you know, different eras of, of television, and I, I think about this all the time. Is this just a post? Reaganomics or in the middle of Reaganomics sort of thing that the 80s had all these sitcoms where men were butlers and um, there were two sitcoms at the same time where a white family adopted a black child played by a black small person because it's really strange. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah, you're right. Obviously, the mammy figure, but you got Vincent, Mr. Belvedere, Charles in charge. um, Who's the boss? Like there are more and more and more, actually. I just can't think of them. And and I'm it's, it's funny because once you step out of these decades, you can look back and try to figure out what it was that studio heads and writers thought they were capturing, what delusion they were flattering. I mean, maybe that was the idea of aspirational wealth, that you would have a living man solving all your problems and showing your wealth to the neighborhood as well. By having Mr. Bel- Mr. Belvedere Mr. Belvid- is another one. Yeah, Mr. Belvedere. Um, and so I, I don't know. I mean, I was I was trying to think about this because obviously we're in the middle of this moment. And I think it's hard for everyone to see what's happening um, and, and, and what we're trying to flatter with delusions or aspirations with flattering. But um, the other thing is, I think the mayor of Easttown, which is a show I didn't like at all, but I think that's a show that tried to sort of do a working class white people thing. Yeah, yeah, it definitely did. I didn't like it either because I felt like it was just a ripoff of, of Broadchurch, which is a British, British show. But it's interesting you brought up Different Strokes because um, with, with Different Strokes, what's interesting is one of the co-creators of this show, Benny Medina, the original Fresh Prince, he was a, a Latino kid. I think he might have... I don't know if he was considered himself Afro-Latina, but but he, he was he was a... Clearly, Latino kid who lived with this white Bel Air family. He lived with his uh, with his rich guy's family, and he lived in the garage. He wasn't related to the family, but they were a white family, and he was the person of color. Like like when you look at him, you can clearly tell he's not he's not white, and he lives in the garage. And the show was based on his life, and one of the reasons why they cast Will Smith and made the character black is because they were like, oh, we don't want another Benson or or not Benson. We don't want another different strokes or Webster where it's a minority kid being adopted by a rich white family. So they made the banks black, even though the real life version was basically another different strokes, precisely to avoid fitting that cliche. But I'm just bringing that up to say that it lends credence to your idea that there was very much a cliche if they're actually actively trying to not fall into it and do the opposite. So your instincts are just very on point. That was, that was... Yeah, I got nothing to add to that. That's uh, that's 100% correct. I never even, I guess, I mean, it had crossed my mind, but it didn't really like ping that that was sort of like a, a cultural affectation back at that time. You know, shows like Who's the Boss, Webster, etc. Yeah, you're right. Like, and I think it does speak to, um, the sort of like the the downfall of the working class during the 1980s and i guess the uh, the message there is that you have to get in where you can fit in but now it's like i think um 
I think television writers are really having a hard time trying to figure out what it is that they want to say at all, because the things that they want to say, they can't actually say. Like, you can try to make TV that explains that much of what we find ourselves in, like, you know, increasing uh, inequality, um, you know, uh, far right populism, racial animosity and that sort of thing is primarily at least in my opinion and i think a lot of people would agree with me when i say this i think i think a lot of it is primarily like the the rot and decay of capitalism but in order to really make that commentary you have to start attacking people that are advertising with your show that support your network etc or even in the case of nbc peacock because of their relationship with general electric like it's your actual company so they can get close to critiquing the problem but they can't ever actually do it I definitely agree, and I'm ready to wrap it up, but I want to give everybody a chance to give final thoughts. So let's start with Michael, since he hasn't spoken in a while. If you have any final thoughts or um, plugs. Oh, oh, by the way, Michael and I saw a show recently, and I have so many thoughts on it, um, but I have no idea if it would be too niche to actually talk about an episode of this, but... um, and I of... probably can't talk about it. Oh, oh, oh you definitely can't talk about it. Cause, like, cause due to, like, professional... Yeah, yeah, but but I was I was going to ask you, do you think it's Black No More but with uh, with Black Thought doing the music and John Ridley? Actually, no, that's going to be too tough to do. It's, it's too niche. Broadway shows are hard to actually... Actually, for... I was, was going to say, when has that stopped you before? But all right. Oh, no, no, this, this, is, this is a, a tough one to... Uh, I mean, maybe you need to read the book and then talk about it that way. Yeah, that might be the way. That might be the way to do it. Um, all right, but yeah, if you have any um, last thoughts you want to share, um, I mean, I kind of feel like I basically said everything I need to say that I feel about Bel Air. Um, maybe I'll, you know, when more episodes come on, like maybe I'll watch toward the end to see where it ends up to see see if I feel differently about it by the, the end of the, the season. But I just, my core thing is just, I don't, I don't believe, I don't believe the thing that they're selling. And I don't think they really have yeah. I'll say episode four, they mentioned defund the police and I kind of cringe. Like they're trying to work in so many. Um, and and this is like the, like part, just because I feel like I've seen so many things that are like doing that of like they're trying to weave in all of this like present all this stuff that doesn't really feel like reality. I mean, reality in the way that people actually live their lives. Even if like I'm like some super rich black person living in Bel Air, I just. I don't believe it. Like the given circumstances that they have presented feel false to me. And, but, but like then, but it also doesn't feel like a fantasy either. So it's like, it's in this weird no man's land, but you're asking me to sort of just like accept this, this version of kind of fantasy reality. And I just, I struggle with that. So that's why I'm curious to see, where it ends up at the end of the season to sort of um, evaluate that. Um, as far as plugging anything, 
um, I have a show. If you're in the New York area, we're going to be in the New York area in any time. And, you know, in the next couple of months, um, I have a musical that's opening on Broadway called A Strange Loop that's playing at the Lyceum Theater. Tickets are on sale. Um, I think it's a good show. Um, and I hope that you all come and see it. I'm going to take it one step farther. If you're not in the New York area and have no plans to be, make plans to go to the New York area and then buy a ticket to fly to New York or drive there because it's uh, that good. I've seen the show. It's very good. Thanks, Trevor. Yeah, and and Q, any uh, final thoughts? Uh, No, I said everything that I need to say. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good to wrap up here. Yeah, yeah, same, same here, same here. I'm, I'm going to keep watching and see how it goes because every episode is written by different people. The second episode I thought was was the worst, but the third one I thought was the best and showed promise. So I'm gonna try to be open minded and and keep watching. Who knows? Maybe we'll revisit it uh, at some point because we're gonna be doing a lot of episodes of this. But um. If you enjoyed this, by all means, make highlights of the show. Um, Q, can you explain the process again? Because I've yet to actually do it, and you explain it much better than I do. Yeah, absolutely. So if you like the show and you want to support us, the best thing that you can do is uh, for moments that you thought were great, that was either funny or prescient or that you actually got really pissed off at, um, feel free to clip and highlight. So there's a tool uh, once the show is published that allows you to like skip forward to the moments that you liked. and if you make a highlight out of it, then we can definitely promote it. And the second thing is, you know, to make sure that the uh, the show actually does stick around, because right now there is no way to monetize the show. The uh, the way that the show sticks around is if Colin sees that people are watching and supporting it. So the best thing that you can do is uh, share it among your friends. Um, little share tool in the upper right hand corner allows you to uh, either copy a link or just straight up share it on Twitter, Instagram, etc. So, yeah, if you like us and you want to support us, please let people know about the show. Yeah, yeah, that, that's basically uh, what has to be done. It has to um, have people watch it live, especially. That's what uh, caught it. Yeah, like a lot of people will like catch it after the fact, which is it's great. Um, and that was that was I back when there was only an iOS app that you could listen to the show on. But now that it's available on Android, y'all got no fucking excuse. All right, tell you people about it because they can get it on their Android app. All they got to do is make a profile and then listen to the show when it's live. We are on every Thursday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. So I say all this to say if the show disappears, it's your fault. Yeah, yeah. Basically, shame shame everybody. Shame, shame <laughs> the audience. Shame the audience's friends. But, yeah, we appreciate all of you for being here. Have a great night, and we will see you guys soon. All right, see you next